0: For 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear.
1: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton, but not for long. We have some exciting news today. Uh, After, I think, 160 episodes or something insane like that, I am passing the gavel to two other people. The Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton podcast is going to become, I think, just Inside the Hive. And taking over, I will still be a guest, of course, from from uh, time to time. Taking over is none other than Emily Jane Fox and Joe Hagan. You guys want to say hi?
2: Hello. Hello, podcast land.
1: Podcast land. So we, we're just kind of, you know, moving things around here a little bit. And um, we're going to Start experimenting with new formats and so on. Uh, the show's still going to be amazing. Um, still going to have incredible guests. Um, it's just whoever is hosting week to week will switch up a little bit. But uh, I think it's going to be fantastic and exciting. And I think we'll kick it off. I have a, a a question for Emily. We're we're actually all zooming right now. Emily's in LA. Joe, where are you again, Joe?
2: I'm in upstate New York in the Hudson Valley, hiding out with all the other uh, you know refugees from Manhattan.
1: And Emily, you are incredibly angry about something. What exactly is that?
0: I don't know if anger is exactly the right word. I know that that's exactly the word that I use with you. I'm I'm feeling big feelings about something. Is that fair to say? Here's, big here's feelings are good. here's what I'm feeling big feelings about, and they're they're negative big feelings toward towards anger on the spectrum. Uh, the New York Times broke a, a real story yesterday about. Ivanka Trump traveling from Washington, D.C. to Bedminster, New Jersey, to her house on her father's golf course there to celebrate Passover. Now, this was after Washington, D.C. issued its stay at home order. Now, its stay at home order in Washington, D.C. was issued quite late. It was weeks, I think three weeks after Los Angeles and New York and many other states in the country. So she has been posting. Video after video in this very, very tay, no makeup style, urging her millions of followers to follow these orders, to do their best to flatten the curve, to do their part as Americans, as humans, as families. We know how hard it is, but we're all doing it. We're all in it together, and we're going to come out of it stronger. But what's interesting is that we're not actually all in it together. Only some of us are in it together. Only the vast majority of are in it together. Ivanka Trump is not in it with us. She is in it when it's convenient to show that she's in it with us, posting photos of what she's doing with her children at home, uh, messages that make her look like she's coming out and really taking a stand. This is so quintessentially Ivanka Trump. Every time something major happens, she and Jared... go on vacation. That's kind of been a hallmark of theirs during uh, the administration. I remember the first time it happened was she and her siblings went on a ski trip to Aspen when the first vote over whether to overhaul Obamacare was taking place. And then they went away again that Passover as a family. I believe that summer uh, they went and took a Trump organization helicopter to Vermont for a lovely two day romantic vacation at an incredibly expensive hotel in the middle of the Charlottesville protests. Uh they've continued to go away for Passover every year. This is a cushion. Wait a family second, tradition. hold on a second.
1: So I'm actually not shocked. I would actually be shocked no if you shocked. said she was staying home. I'm not even I'm not even upset. I mean, I guess I'm upset. I just think You wrote a book about her, you've spent time with her, you've covered her for... Like, she is the epitome of someone who thinks about nothing. I mean, I think actually worse than her father, thinks about nothing but herself. Well, you
0: expect it from her father, and now we've come to expect it from her. But this is what's been angering me this morning. A couple things. First, it's not like they just snap their fingers and and end up in, in Bedminster, right? So... Uh, The White House put out a statement this morning saying that they did not travel commercially. Okay, so I know that they don't have their own plane. Uh, They usually use a company called NetJet. So if they flew, which we don't know, maybe they drive. If they flew, that means they took a, a, a chartered plane. There's a pilot on that plane. There's presumably people in the private airport who have to work. They travel with security detail. So their detail is now leaving their own families to go with Jared and Ivanka to New Jersey. New Jersey is a state that is a hotbed in a way that uh, we couldn't even Im- imagine. And it what? just feels like Hold on a second. The most- Hold on. A second. Okay. Okay. This
1: I'm is upset. actually a good. Th- this is a good thing. If she gets it I don't I mean, care come about on. Ivanka
0: getting. I mean, I hope no one gets <laughs> this. I hope I'm no kidding. people get this. But I care about the Secret Service people who she's putting. No, in I totally agree. I care about I, the millions of people who are saying, "Oh well, if Ivanka can travel to her vacation home, then I can travel to my vacation home."
1: I don't think any of us have a vacation home. But I, here's what I will say: they can travel and to their jo-
0: parents' homes and their sisters' homes. How many? I, mean, I celebrated Passover last week. Um, my entire family was supposed to come to Los Angeles. My boyfriend's entire family was supposed to come to Los Angeles. It was the first time everyone was supposed to meet. They ended up meeting over a Zoom Seder and it was lovely, but it was, it was such a sad moment for me in this whole thing. It was something I had been looking forward to for so long, but not for one second did I think, you know what? I'm the exception to this and I'm going to I'm gonna figure out a way to get my parents here safely, not on commercial travel and we're just going to pretend like this is normal and it's okay and we don't have to worry about the rest of society. We make a pact as Americans and one of the most heartening things in this whole thing is that everyone has kind of very quickly adhered to these incredibly abnormal new normals except for Ivanka Trump who's one of the most influential people in the country.
1: Okay, but so I'm going to I'm going to lob this over to Joe because I one of the things that has been frustrating for me is from the beginning of this is I mean you had this week you had protests on you know steps across the country in city halls where people were like you know end the lockdown freedom for America and this that and the other and someone said to me which I thought was an incredibly smart point was that freedom Amer- one of Americans' innovations, the, one, the thing that has always kept us in the forefront, is is freedom. We are free to do the, anything we want, and when you look at the way the virus has traveled, as a result, it is it is it's it's traveling the most severe in the countries where there is no dictatorships or oppression or anything or or the you know uh, the way China r- runs things. But it's moments like these. It's kind of it's moments where. You know Donald Trump can say whatever the hell he wants on social media, things like that. Uh, where Fox News can do whatever they want. Where I, I wonder, and Joe, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like. Is there a limitation to how much freedom we should apply? Like, you can't run – you can't go into a movie theater. Well, you can't go into a movie theater now anyway. But when you could go into a movie theater, you couldn't go in there and yell fire. Because if you do, people run out. Someone could get hurt. You can get arrested for that. You can you can get in a lot of trouble. So we have this unmitigated freedom in the United States that it seems like
2: there should be limits to. Am I insane to think that? What do you think? Well, this is what um, – you know, the politics – that are cascading out of this entire crisis are going to revolve around how we define uh, what our personal freedoms are versus our social freedoms, you know, versus the freedom, you know, the preservation of our, uh, you know, social connections. You know, the people on the step, on the state house uh, steps in Ohio and Michigan who are pro- protesting, I mean, they take their sig- their signals from from Trump. They were wearing Trump hats, many of them, right? And Trump's saying, and, and this goes back to, to what Emily was saying, they're sending signals, right? I'm not going to wear a mask, says Trump, right? Because, you know, why should I? I'm above that, or I have a different conception of what freedom is and who, who should have to follow it. And s- same with Ivanka. You know, on the, on, from their point of view, that just seems like, uh, you know, one interpretation is that's high-handed uh, elitism, uh, of these sort of uh, decadent wealthy manhattanites and yet it's connecting somehow to you know the middle american people who see the economy as the basis of freedom i think that this is like you know the question that i've been having and I, you're having i don't have the answer to the, to your real question is how is this going to impact how we behave from here on out people are going to go out in public and you're going to see somebody with like a mask on you remember like Six months ago, if you went to an airport, you'd see the occasional person with a mask on and you kind of wondered what mm-hmm. that was about. Like, are they paranoid? You know, but now you're gonna see that all over and somebody not wearing one, you're gonna have a thought about them for a, a split second. I've
1: already had this well, experience. It's, it's fascinating how quickly things change. I was just talking to someone, I there's I live in a little neighborhood. Uh, in LA and every once a week at like five o'clock, everyone kind of goes out on their lawn and has like 20 feet apart conversations and like has a glass of wine and and waves or whatever. We usually don't get to do it because our kids are insane and don't let us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you okay?
1: I'm okay. But what's so fascinating is, is in the beginning of all this, you would see people walking down the street and and they would they would switch sides and something like that, and and you would think it's so we- it's just such a weird construct that we're now doing that. Now, when someone doesn't do that, you're like, what's going on? And it's this. The other thing that's been so interesting is when I look in the sky and I see a plane, it is such an anomaly. Now, you just it before the planes all the time. Like now, I look that's up, I'm like, holy, holy shit, who's on that plane? Like, who is it yeah. empty? Truly. Is it? Uh, it's, it's the way things change. And then I was at the grocery store this week with a mask on and everything. And a guy came in without a mask and they kicked him out. And it's so fascinating how quickly this all changes. And yet, and yet you have, as you just said, Joe, part of the country that's, that's, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask. Don't tell me what to do. You know, right? it's, it's, and Ivanka.
0: Can I tell you about my anthropological study that I run every single day about this? It's, it's unscientific. Yes, unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's meaningful <laughs> to me. Um, I'm a runner. I run every day. I've run every day for more than a, probably 15 years. Um, I can't run around the neighborhood where I live in Los Angeles because there are no sidewalks and it's uh, very windy and I would probably die. So I, I drive to an area that is, um, flat and the streets are really wide and and there are sidewalks, and it's uh, populated by people who are very old. So I I feel like it's the lowest risk I could possibly have. And every day uh, since this happened, I've been taking a tally of how many people are out, uh, how many people are walking far apart if they're walking with other people, how many people are crossing the street when they're passing other people, and, and more recently, how many people are wearing masks. And I really noticed a turn in how people were mask wearing by the end of last week, which is unsurprising because uh, the order to wear masks went into effect last week in Los Angeles. But uh, it was kind of, the weather was kind of shitty last week and over the weekend it, it was nice for one day and then not nice. Um, and then Tuesday and Wednesday this week were just absolutely beautiful here, really almost 80 degrees or 80 degrees. Uh, and, and where there had been, I would say, 85 to 90% of the people I had seen on the streets were wearing masks when the weather was not nice. I would say maybe 50 people were wearing masks yesterday. And I don't know if that's because people who usually don't take walks are now going out and those people aren't sure whether or not they need to wear masks or if people were just like, well, it's beautiful out. I'm, I screw it. Uh, But I, I, it's it's interesting to me to see how these things fluctuate and change even on a day-to-day basis.
1: What I find so fascinating is the reason that we are told to wear masks. The masks don't actually stop you necessarily from getting the virus. It's that in China, during uh, when SARS happened, they started making people who had SARS wear masks. And then they noticed that Everyone was not being nice to them and avoiding them and so on and so forth. And there was a stigma. So they decided to make everyone wear masks so that you wouldn't know the difference. And the whole point of the mask is when you are sick, you're gonna cough or sneeze, and then your germs fly out into the air. And it's interesting, I've noticed the same thing, and I wonder if, if people are kind of aware of that, or if it's that they just don't think it's important outside or or you know what. I mean there is People do stick to that six feet apart rule. If you drive down certain streets and you see grocery stores, there are are those bizarre apocalyptic looking lines outside the grocery stores, which I don't think I'll ever get over. Um, What's it like where you are, Joe?
2: Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, where I am, I'm in a county in upstate New York where it's always 50-50 politically. It's sort of a fascinating place to be. It's Dutchess County. It's uh, across the river from Woodstock, the famous Woodstock, and, you know— you see that sort of, uh, you know, the pickup truck driving crowd is uh, less, you know, I guess they're maybe libertarian about about their use. They don't wear. You're not seeing as many masks in that in that crowd, and yet, uh, you know, these sort of people at the college nearby or people associated with, kind of like the cosmopolitan uh, refugees, as I mentioned before, very, uh, you know, following the rules, trying to do the right thing. I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Even you, you didn't see masks on those people in Michigan and Ohio, for instance, when they no. were uh, protesting. You saw I think uh, one of the interesting things I find is also that the very American kind of interpretation of this is I'm looking on my Instagram feed. Now I'm starting to get ads for fashion fashionable um, totally. masks that I can wear, mm-hmm. uh, which I sort of see as a, a, a funny um Uh, That's the the American interpretation of anything is to instantly turn it into uh, something um, hip and fashionable and possibly cool. You know, how this is going to break down over the next few months will be so interesting as we try to reopen, whether people, you know, feel like that's a a signal not to wear a mask anymore. Can I just go out and stop doing it, you know? Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see. Also, I talked to the governor of Illinois last week. J.B. Pritzker, you know, in certain areas like where we are, we're sort of uh, in New York, we're uh, told that we have peaked. And maybe in the next two weeks from now, we'll see a wane. We don't really know. But uh, they're talking in Illinois about in Chicago, they're not going to be peaking for another week and a half. And so if you get a signal from, uh, let's say, the White House that you can stop abiding by these rules. You, could, you don't have to social distance. You don't have to wear a mask. Let's say that happens two weeks, three weeks from now. Well, that's not going to apply to every place. And so uh, it's going to break, you know, where all these things we're talking about apply is going to be like a, a patchwork. And and I wonder if, um, and I definitely think all of these things that we're talking about are going to be like the, where the politics of the election begin to gravitate.
1: What do you guys think? Everyone, you know, everyone asks the same questions. You know, do you know someone that has it? Do you this, that, and the other? What do you think? How, how long do you think it's going to last? We, we all don't necessarily know the answer to that last question. But I'm very curious to hear your, both of your thoughts as people who have, have spent time with and covered folks on the campaign trail, trails and so on, how this whole thing, A, affects Biden and B, affects Trump. Um, and maybe we can start with the Trump aspect of it. You know, he, he's he been working as hard as he possibly can to blame this on every single possible thing but himself. You know, it went from the Trump administration to uh, China to to now the World Health Organization and so on. And, you know, you watch Fox and they just regurgitate or help act, help him come up with ideas for how to do that. But... I, I've actually been quite surprised that the New York Times has been so aggressive with pushing back because they're usually not as aggressive um, in instances like this. And and they have. There was a news alert today about how you know and a story about how the World Health Organization was out in front of this and that Trump is is wrong um, and that uh, Kellyanne Conway who doesn't know how to count is is also full of shit. And and the question is is you know does. It, this seems to me, when I look at this, and it, like it's different than anything that the Trump administration has done before. That it's more disastrous to them um, because they because he was out there saying it's a hoax and it's bullshit and this, that, and the other in the beginning. What do you guys think? The how does this how does this affect Trump's presidential bid? And Emily, maybe you can start.
0: I remember being on this podcast in February, and then. All the other times before this where you asked me, do you think Trump is going to get elected, which was every time I was on this podcast. And I said, yes, unless something catastrophic happens, he will win re-election. And now something catastrophic has happened. And the catastrophe is obviously a public health one, but it is simultaneously an economic one. The only way an incumbent president really loses a re-election especially one in which you'd need major electoral college state math to change fundamentally in order for him to lose, is if there is an economic catastrophe. And I do not see a way that the economy recovers by November of this year. I think that, I mean, jobless numbers came out today, unemployment numbers keep coming out every week that are just breathtaking.
1: Jobless numbers now at 22 million.
0: It's 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 staggering what has happened to the economy, and I don't see that turning. I mean, unfortunately, I don't see that turning around in a major, major way before the election. Trump's entire case for winning again in November was based on the economy. The stock market was up. Uh, the unemployment rate was lower than it had been in a long time. I mean the the economy was really good until March of this year. It was it was a legitimate thing for him to tout going into November. Now you are going to have people across every socioeconomic barrier, across every geographic region, swing state, not swing state, red state, blue state, purple state. Every person in this country in some way, some more than others, are going to feel this. And I think that the only way that you chip away at Donald Trump's unmovable 40% or 37% of the country is if they feel like they are economically worse off than they were on January 19th of 2017. And I think that a lot of people are going to feel that way. And so I think for him... Even this is why you see him panicking so much about wanting to reopen the economy. He thinks that if you open businesses again, uh, these numbers magically swing in a direction. The problem is, is if you open businesses again, and there's no public health explanation for why you're doing that, and then you have a second wave of this, and you have to close everything down again, and maybe you have to do that two more times. That's not going to jumpstart the economy. That's just going to infect more people, kill more people, confuse people. No one's going to hire in that environment. And so it's sort of a knee-jerk panic reaction, which is sort of a hallmark of what Trump is doing to save his own behind. And I, I do not see how that's going to work in advance of the election.
1: Joe, what's, what are your thoughts?
2: I, I agree with what she's saying. And I have to say that I... I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I've never felt like more like that Trump could lose than than at this moment. I mean, somebody told me this the other day, and it made a lot of sense to me. It's just sort of a broad idea. But, you know, he really has been a bread and circuses uh, candidate, right? But what happens when there's no bread? You know, like people are not going to want more of the freak show of Trumpism if they if they can't have, if they don't have a job, if they can't. Eat, you know, I mean, it, basically, I don't think what he has the—what uh, he offered, the kind of, um, you know, uh, shaking up the elites, you know, the voice of uh, kind of angry uh, populism, I don't think that Trump has the tools or the—he can't deliver what they need to get out of this. And he's showing that. I mean, the, the complete failure of his management um, is— all laid out for anybody to see. And he's trying very hard to distract and use his usual kind of attack mode to put it on other people and change the narrative and try to make himself look like the winner no matter what happens. But it's just, it's repeatedly failing. And do either of you guys follow Alex Berenson on on Twitter? I don't know if you do, but he's sort of the... um, Former New York Times reporter became a novelist, but he's sort of the leading voice of people who are trying to uh, say that this whole lockdown is uh, over the top and that it's sort of like a media madness um, and that, you know, uh, it's destroying the economy in ways that uh, don't justify uh, what we've done. And uh, he is definitely, if you, I think of him as almost like the first draft of what the right-wing argument will be over the next, say, like uh, three months as we go into the election. And uh, the question is, uh, Trump has taken several different positions in the last few weeks, and, you know, he's he's against it, he's for it, he's, you know, yes, we should go into lockdown, but I'm not going to wear a mask, and he's kind of all over the place. But it also gives him the opportunity to kind of, like, uh, look back and say, pick out, cherry pick whatever he you know, said and did and make it look like he did the right thing. Uh, and if it turns out that they want to make an argument like this guy, Alex Berenson, that, oh, you know, all this economic mess is not my fault. It's the fault of the media and the left who wanted to shut down the economy. And look, I was always saying all along that we shouldn't do it. You know, but I don't think it will work. And I, I do think that uh, now we have to look to Biden and ask ourselves, can he um, deliver? Uh, you know, on his promise and yeah,
1: it's a great segue because you know, look. I Emily and I had discussed this for for eight months on and off. Um, Biden was not my number ten pick. Um, you know, he I I had said that he had been doing this for fifty years and look at the state we're in today and you know, pretty coronavirus um, and that um, felt a little old and white to me um, and, you know, kind of was hoping that we'd have something fresh, like a woman or a, a Pete Buttigieg or something. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Um, uh, I I do have these incredibly stressful, cringing moments sometimes when I see Biden and his gaffes um, when he's talking. Uh, and, you know— the question is, I mean, I think that one of the things that is going to hurt Trump the most in his re-election campaign right. is the rallies. He can't do He's them.
0: He's doing and those them are, every those day. Are his,
2: They're universally consider- being panned, even by Republicans. I mean, as as completely pointless and even you know destructive.
1: I mean, even some of the Fox pundits are like, eh, "These are a little weird." Like you know, it's like. um uh he, you're right he's doing them every day but they're not they're different there's like a there's one thing to 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 have a, a massive crowd cheering and and locker up and him because I think a, I think a big part of what he has always done and I remember interviewing uh, Tim O'Brien who wrote the uh, the the fir- one of the first biographies on Trump and he said that you know these rallies have always been a A way for him to test things. So he'll say, he'll try locker up. Oh, they love that. Let's let's try that let's keep doing that. Oh, that works. Oh, well, this one didn't work. They didn't respond. It's like a comedian, like, you know, practicing their bit. And it seems like it it you know, that it definitely is going to hurt him. I do not think that we will see any rallies. Maybe maybe he'll just say fuck it and do it. I don't know. But but, how does this what's what's the Biden strategy? Is it just kind of stay quiet, try not to drool too much and and like let's see what happens or like what's
2: i have been thinking a lot about this. There was an article today in The Times it was about you know his internet strategy and his social media strategy and how kind of like pathetic it is and ineffectual and when I interviewed David Pluff a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about that he really needs to get. He was Obama's former strategist. He said Biden really needs to get on the, his game and uh, and innovate on social media and, you know, do TikTok or whatever. Um, and yet he's sort of almost been like there's been this sort of invisible man strategy where you don't hear much about him. He's not uh, circulating memes on social media. And yet he won the primary. He kind of comes out of nowhere and wins the primary. And he's crushing, you know, Trump. In at least a couple of p- recent polls, um, without much presence, it's almost like a, maybe you could call it like a rope-a-dope strategy. He's just letting you hmm. know Trump kind of swing around and and uh, then when you're gonna poll somebody, they're like, "So what would you rather have, Trump or Biden? Who you just have a v- the vaguest notion of?" But you're like, "Yeah, that. I'll I'll take him. That's smart."
0: I, I don't think that's smart and, I, and I, I'll tell you why. I think that that may be smart in terms of polling when you're asking people who they would prefer, but that does not create an enthusiasm to actually get up and go to the polls. And so people may prefer Joe Biden because he's letting Trump sort of, uh, I don't, don't want to use uh, a negative phrase, but he's sort of letting Trump hang himself Uh, by being out in in public and and joe biden's just doing sort of sweet interviews from his basement television studio now and i think that that works when you're just asking people to vote up or down but it doesn't vote when it doesn't work when you're asking people to actually get up and go to the polls and the only way that i think joe biden's going to handily win this is if you have a ton of democratic enthusiasm the way that uh, there was in 2008 where you have people swelling the poll, uh, swelling the, the voting stations and and really voting in record numbers. <laughs> the only thing that I think could really, really help him is if we do have systems in place, either by state or nationally, where people are able to vote by mail, because it, historically. Yeah, I agree. With Democrats that. are so boosted if you have a vote by mail or an early vote option. It really levels the playing field. And I think that that's not completely out of the question. You saw what happened in Wisconsin last week where that didn't happen and, and, and the outrage surrounding that. I think if Democrats are smart, one of the things that they will push and push and push and push over the next few months is, is pushing in states to be able to vote early, to be able to vote by mail for public health reasons, but also for reasons of leveling the playing field and really increasing Joe Biden's likelihood of being able to take this thing.
2: I agree with you about You know, that it's not a long term strategy for him to not be, uh, you know, present and and inspiring a lot of enthusiasm, although you'd have to admit in the present environment, it would be difficult for him to kind of, uh, you know, break through and create a lot of political uh, excitement. There's no way. Yeah. No, there's no way. But he did something very or his campaign has started to do something very smart this week. And if you start to look in the videos uh, that I'm starting to see on social media, he was on Morning Joe uh, this week, Jill Biden, Jill is starting to come into the frame. Mm. And man, what a difference Mm. it makes.
0: Exactly I was sort of
2: shocked, like, oh, having her next. It's so she's just this sort of luminous, benevolent, uh, you know, presence. And it really brings him alive because Joe Biden is, is you know, a, a flesh presser, right? If he gets his energy from being around other people, suddenly there are none and he looks like this, you know, it looks like a hostage <laughs> video from the basement. But when <laughs> Jill is next to him, wow, what a difference it makes. And she could be a really powerful force in kind of framing him and giving him a sense of, you know, um, optimism and, and just enlivening him.
0: From from uh, people I talked to involved in the campaign um she is incredibly immensely popular and I think that she's a fantastic reminder of Joe the family man which is really why people like him the the empathetic granddad uh who's kind and has this big family that all hangs out on the family porch um I think that that there is some hesitation about Um, messaging Joe Biden right now. I think that uh, they're sort of slow walking all of this because it's a really hard time to campaign. It's a really hard time to be out there um, doing the normal campaign spouse stuff when there are thousands and thousands of people around the country dying and tens and tens of thousands of people sick and uh, even more Mourning loved ones, and so I think that there's not really a clear message for her and a clear role for her the way that there would be had this not been uh, in the middle of the pandemic. But I do think that you're going to start to see her more and more.
1: Do you? What do you guys think about the the vote by mail thing? You know, Trump of course is pushing back on it, calling it criminal, even though he votes by mail himself. Um, y- you know, you said if the Democrats are smart, that is the that has always been the billion dollar question, which I don't know if I'm know if they are um, in some instances I guess they are and in lots of instances they're not um, it, how do you think this plays out
2: well are you talking about the mail uh,
1: I mean this is going to be the this is going to be the core war between the if if, if we are still in, inside or in some respects you know not inside in November but you know if life is not normal which I don't think it is every from every expert I've spoken to from epidemiologists to researchers, to biologists, to doctors, I mean, just every single person I've spoken to, the 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 feeling is that while in a month or two, we're going to start to relax some of the quarantining where maybe 10% of the workforce goes back to work and there are new rules, you know, that happen um, uh, where, you know, you have to wear masks and you have to wear gloves and you stand six feet apart and this, that, and the other. Um the, the predominant thing that I've heard over and over and over again is 12 to 18 months before we're, we're even close to normal. And even then, you'll still have people in masks and gloves and, and, and so on. Um, and so if that is the case come November, you know, can the Trump administration push back enough to stop, stop vote by mail? Would it just be a disaster for them to try? Is, is the Democrats, you know, well, how do you think this plays out?
2: Well, the only real example we have is Wisconsin, right? I mean, they just had a an election which didn't they block vote by mail for that? Yeah, they made people election. Yep. Right, and it didn't have a consequence. It that. Went
0: up to the Supreme Court. Right. It, it was it was the most cravenly political thing I could imagine putting so many constituents in real danger in order to have the Republican establishment uh, hold on to the last grasps of power in that state. I think it was one of the most disheartening things of this entire coronavirus era to me. I think it's going to come down to state by state. And I think that if voters want to do something in the next couple of months while they're quarantined, I get asked all the time, like, what should I do? What can I do? uh before the election to lend my support should i donate money to this candidate should i do this should i be making calls i think one of the major things that people can do if they want to impact the election is start calling their local legislatures about the the ability to vote remotely i can't think of something that seems crazier in this era than going to a polling place waiting online next to people and touching the same screen that hundreds of people have touched in the same day that seems Absolutely. I won't even go to the grocery store. That seems crazy to me. So I think that that one of the the top things that people should be focusing on is what can we do to make sure that by November 2020, my local voting, my state voting is on track to be able to to allow us to vote by mail.
2: You are listening to Inside the
0: Hive with Nick Bilton. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco
1: Um, a last couple of questions before we jet off to go absolutely nowhere and stay home. <laughs> Again, for last yourself. week
0: I have big plans.
1: Last week was it's it's interesting. Last week I was like this is I could, I could get into this. Like I could do this. This is great. I'm baking bread. I, I mean, look, we could talk for an hour about my bread baking if we really want to go there, but, um, you know, like
0: you owe you owe us a starter I do, in this house. I do.
1: I've been really into my sourdough, uh, breads and babkas and things. It's been a lot of fun. It's, it's you know, bring me back to the. I've been playing piano. You know, I've, I've been. It's like I've been having like you know get. I haven't been getting a lot of work done because of the kids, but, but um, last week was I was like, oh, this is you know this I could do this, and this week I was like, oh my god, I, this is I'm gonna climb up the walls like spider-man and try to find a way out of here it's
2: it's not i had the same exact experience where this was the week that almost that i really began to see all the negative yeah. side effects yeah. of all of this and the stir craziness in fact i looked up the etymology of stir crazy and, and oh really uh, you know the stir yeah it's jails but, you know it's an old british um, uh, locution of from the stir if you're in the stir you know you're in the you're in jail and uh, there were also something um, there were you would go stir crazy right if you're in prison but there was also a uh, a stir hustler hmm. I was uh, interested to find out those are people who have mastered being incarcerated and they sort of have it all gamed out and understand how to like survive inside isolation and any and tips so we're all going to have to become stir hustlers any any um, stir hustling tips you know I would challenge any of these, you know, nineteenth century British prisoners who are stir hustlers to uh bring my kids with them and see if they could also uh keep the hustle going because uh that's part of the madness is the um having to manage the irrational short people in your life. Yeah. I totally agree. I was just
0: gonna say I feel like I'm a stir hustler and I think the only reason why is because I don't have kids.
1: Right. I have a friend, uh, well, uh, who um, is quarantined alone in an apartment, and um, I was messaging with her last week, and I said, um, she, she texted, and she said, I, I, I woke up this morning, I had a whole conversation with myself, I didn't even realize I was doing it, you know, like I, <clears throat> and I said, um, I said, would you rather be where you are by yourself? Uh, and having conversations with yourself or would you rather be with a three-year-old, a four-and-a-half-year-old and a, a mother-in-law who gets her fax? I have no idea where she gets a coronavirus fax. It is... it is. I have a story I'm going to tell you actually uh, um, to, to, to to point this out. But... Um, uh, and she said I would rather be by myself talking to myself. So, yeah. I hear, I'm going to tell you a little story. So, uh, in the beginning of all of this, Please. one of the things that I think has been so fascinating is the... Um, uh, is the the rumors and the speculation on social media and just just word of mouth? And there was a thing that happened in the beginning where do you, do you remember, like a, a year ago, where um, WhatsApp was being used to spread complete another fabrications in like India and Asian countries, and they were leading to riots yeah. and this, that, and the other. And I never really understood how just how these message these little messaging platforms where you'd only message a couple of people could. Could lead to literally people going in the street, rioting and killing people. And I remember in the very beginning of this, I kept getting these messages where some of them were like, "Oh, my brother's uncle's sister works for the governor, and the the you know um, they're going to deploy the army in two days." You know, things like that. Sometimes like they were right, like, "Oh, quarantine is going to happen in a week," right? And it happened, but. There was one message that got sent around. And I got it a couple of times, and it was from it was from a woman, and um, it was a voicemail, and it was like, "I just spoke to Aunt Jude, who works for the Chicago hospital, and she said that they've they there's a they've done some research, and." Um, apparently the coronavirus is doesn't like heat so you if you gargle with salt wa- hot salt water several times a day and if you try to drink like a hot tea or a hot coffee every 20 minutes um it will flush it out right and i remember it was being passed around my uh my my wife got it i got it you know a couple of other people and i was i said to my wife i was like this is crazy like if if gargling was hot salt water and um and drinking hot tea was the way to stop coronavirus, we would not be sheltered in place at half of the civilization. And, um, so anyway, I was just like, what crazy person would, uh, would believe that? So we, the quarantine starts to happen and my mother-in-law starts coming over. She's only allowed to come over here and go home and that's it. Um, and she's in her seventies and is one of those people that literally just sits and watch, watches the news all day long. And that's, and, and, And texts with people and and so on and every time she comes over she's got like some new fact that just doesn't make any sense like you can catch it by being in your car with the windows closed if you're not wearing a mask if someone in the car next to you has it like just all these things and every time I have to push back on her and and how how these things are wrong so last week she comes in the house and she walks over and she grabs the kettle turns it on gets some salt water starts gargling and starts drinking tea and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I heard from a friend of a friend who knows this doctor in Chicago that, th- that this is. And so it was, it was like it came full circle. And now I realize how these insane rumors spread and how people start to believe them. So that's my little story. Not to, not to trust technology in anything you read on the Internet or on your text messages.
0: People just are desperate to believe in, in anything and they're so terrified and it's just, it's such a crazy time. You can't even, you can't even fault people.
1: No, I know. It's just, it was, it was just, I, it was for me, a lot of the, the moments that have happened have kind of, especially with the tech stuff and the news and, and everything have been eye opening to see in real time how these things affect Every issue around the globe, and how they're, you know, how, you know, those, there are people, I've seen people who are getting, literally getting their news from Instagram, which are screenshots of things that are not even real. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll forward mm-hmm. them to me and be like, oh my God, did you see this? And I'm like, yeah, it's Russia made these fake CDC guidelines about how if you wash your hands, you won't ever get it. And it's, you know, it, like, it's just all, it's just craziness, just total craziness.
0: It's one thing to see in your Instagram feed; it's another thing for it to come into your house. You know, it it actually like brings all the things that you've been reporting on for for a long time, full circle, into your house, into your family. It's just, it's a crazy thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, just as a final thought, here is just this entire pandemic crisis has exposed really the fault lines of all of our systems. I just, you know, from the economy to our information, the weaknesses, which we already knew was a weak, the way our information has circulated in the Trump era, especially. And how, now that people are going to find out how it affects their jobs and their health, you kind of have to wonder whether, if the people are going to begin to question where they're getting their information, or if it's just going to keep you know, is there a bottom to the kind of, uh, world of misinformation, uh, at a time when you need it to live?
1: I do. Th- I do think that this is a, ch- I think that this, um, it, it helps change the course a little bit. I mean, maybe I'm just being optimistic, but I do think that you, you, yeah. you know, there was a point in time where maybe I would have seen something on social media and believed it more than I, I will today. And, and I, um, you know, it's these moments where you're like, Oh, this is the place that has the facts and this is the place that does not. And right. yeah. So, all right. So uh, last question for you guys, when uh, you're taking over the podcast um, and I wanted to know, excuse my barking dog in the background, pine cone, um, Pinecone, um I wanted to know what you guys have lined up. Like, who are some of the guests? You know, uh, what 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 should we expect in the in the next coming weeks and months and so on and so forth.
0: Joe, do you want to start?
2: Well, um, I've got some uh, interviews lined up. I won't tell all of them, um, but uh, I know.
0: Good tease.
2: All right. Well, next week I'm interviewing uh, Chris Matthews, uh, late of MSNBC. And we'll be talking to him about what he's been doing since he left the network and what his uh, outlook is on the political world around us. But I think, uh, you know, this is an, an interesting time to be uh, taking over for you, Nick, because uh, I think Emily and I are now in the position of interpreting this sort of chaotic new world we're living in and trying to figure out uh, what it all means and what the ramifications are. Um, so we're going to be sort of, uh, you know— uh, groping around in the dark like everybody else in the world, but doing it into a microphone.
0: Emily. I think that, that when Joe and I started talking about this, what I said to him and to you, I think we, we were all talking was, um, I'm anxious and worried and confused and uncertain about so many things. And I think everybody feels that way. And so if we can use this podcast to talk to the smartest most plugged in, engaged, interesting people who actually know what they're talking about on things that matter right now, to plug around in the, in the areas that we're most anxious and confused and worried about and get some real answers from, from those people, that feels like exactly where we want this to live.
1: Well, I can't wait to be listening. I will be joining you both um, uh, once You'll a month or so. You'll come back.
0: You're going w- you're you're, to be I back. Can't,
1: <laughs> I can't wait to be interviewed by Emily Jane Fox. Because it's you, usually you the other way around.
0: Have, you have earned that special spot. <laughs> yeah. Wait, can I ask you guys a question before we go? Yep.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um,
0: what's the best thing you guys have each done since you've been quarantined?
1: Wow. Good question. Um, the best thing? I will, yeah. Hmm. Joe?
2: Well, you know, the um, I have had some, um, I have some woods near me that I can walk in. That
1: sounds amazing.
2: And uh, just to leave the home, to get out of the house, and I've taken a couple of walks, they are socially distanced walks with friends, and it feels illicit to be able to see other humans and talk to them, even from six feet away, and uh, it makes you realize and remember, um, you know, God, how great it will be to reconnect with uh, other people uh, when we get the chance to do that again. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of a social creature. I get energy from being around other people i like to be around, and now we can't. And uh, But when you get even six feet from somebody that you would like to be talking to and seeing in person and not just on a Zoom. Uh, you remember how great it is to be around other people, and how how much you need it.
1: Yeah, I've I've had that same realization. I'm I'm you know I'm I definitely get my energy from being around other people. I I have a hard time just working at home in the office or anywhere. I I need to kind of I don't want to talk to people. I have no interest in that. I just need to be around them. You know, <laughs> and I like to go to coffee shops and sit and write. And I think the big you know, you have these, you always have these real, these thoughts of like, why are we here? What is this all about? Is it just some freak chance and we're cockroaches crawling across the earth or, or are we really, is there some larger purpose to this? And I think the thing that I've realized through this whole thing is, um, is that we are here for each other. You know, like we are here to help each other um, and uh, to be around each other and to coexist together. And it, not being able i mean i just had i had this thought the other day just about like not being able to like go and talk to my neighbor really properly you know like to be able to 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 just sit and talk to someone it's um it's fascinating you know the technological side of this story is that the technology has really kind of brought us together and helped us through this but it has its limitations and it always will it will never replace human contact and you know, It reminds me, I remember I when I wrote my first book, which was diabolical and no one should read it, but I was looking at, at how technologies have changed over time and how they've changed human interaction and so on. And I remember when the telephone first came out, it was um, written about on the front page of the New York Times, I think it was 1876, June or July of 1876, and the story starts with that no one will ever leave their home again and that they will never have to because the telephone will change the way we live and we will no longer go to concerts and churches and we won't meet people for drinks uh, at the local pub we will instead you know enjoy it from the comfort of our sitting room and while we talk on the telephone and you know before this all happened the you know the thing that I think when this all happened the thing that was so shocking was that we were going to stop the sports games and the concerts and the Olympics and the, the meetings and the, you know all these things that are imperative to our to our being and uh, and I think for me that the the big moment that I've had this big realization is that is that we are all here for each other and that's that's it you know um, that's the only part that I can understand. Um, that and I'm a really good fucking sourdough bread maker, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: really, really good. That's all I got.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it, Nick. We're gonna we're gonna yes. come pick up that starter.
2: Yeah, and please, um, maybe you know, maybe we, you can use the U.S. postal system to send me some of that, and you could support the postal system.
1: I have been. I've given away more sourdough starter through this apocalyptic event. Then I have given away anything. That's in all my we talk about life. over so here. So if you want some, just hit me up.
2: You better watch out. You could get a yeah. lot of uh, <laughs> podcast listeners hitting you up for um, sourdough starter. You start your own little factory. Hitting me
1: up for starter. All right, guys. It has been
0: that makes you a a stir hustler.
2: Boom.
1: A stir hustler. Oh, <laughs> way to bring it around, Emily Jane Fox. Um, All right, guys, have a wonderful weekend, if you want to call it that. Um, And I look forward to listening next week. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks to my guests today who are going to be my hosts soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton and soon-to-be Inside the Hive with Emily Jane Fox and Joe Hogan. You can find this on ApplePodcastRadio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there. But given that I am handing this over, I don't really care what you say. Just kidding. Make sure it's a five-star review. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and we will see you next week.
2: The 2024 election means this year is going to be chock full of drama and nail-biting suspense. You deserve a politics and news podcast with expert analysis. No spin, no BS, just trusted journalists talking about what you need to know. I'm David Plotz, and each week on Slate's Political Gab Fest, I sit down with The New York Times' Emily Bazelon and CBS News' John Dickerson to do just that. Join us as we unpack the latest in politics, news, and the courts. Listen to the Political Gabfest every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.